Well, friends, we are uh, continuing our series in uh, the book of Proverbs, and uh, each week we've been saying that uh, we want to grow up before we grow old. And uh, part of what we mean by that is just simply we want to gain wisdom, which is what Proverbs is uh, all about. Proverbs is all about uh, teaching us wisdom and trying to uh, grow us up and uh, grow us up to maturity in wisdom. And particularly in this part of the book of Proverbs, really the main point is just to persuade us of just how important wisdom is. Um, in fact, one of the ways to think about it is that Proverbs, you can see it in, our, in the first few verses of our reading, Proverbs wants to say, um, desire wisdom. Uh, have, develop an ambition to uh, grow in wisdom. Um, desire it more than you desire silver. Be desperate for wisdom. Uh, sometimes we can think, uh, I don't know if you think this way, but, but uh, certainly at times in my life I've thought about wisdom as a little bit of an, uh, uh, kind of optional add-on. You know, it, it, the wise people are people who kind of want to go above and beyond. They don't want to do the minimum, they want to go above and beyond. And Proverbs says, no, 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 it's not optional. In fact, it's crucial. Crucial. And, and this is what I want to talk about today in our reading. Um, our pro the Proverbs wants to teach us today that wisdom is absolutely key to life. If you gain wisdom, you gain all the good stuff. If you miss wisdom, you miss everything that really, really finally matters for eternity. And in particular, today, our passage tells us that wisdom, one of the great things it does, is it opens up and gives us access to coherence and meaning in an otherwise perplexing world. It opens up coherence and meaning in an otherwise perplexing world. What do you mean by that? Well, great question. Let's look at the text. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Okay, now... You read that, and it's not surprising uh, to read the Bible and hear the Bible talking about how God created the world. It's not surprising to come to church and hear people in church talking about God creating the universe. However, look back at that verse again. Because the thing that's interesting in that verse is not so much that it tells us that God created everything. It's that it tells us something about this thing called wisdom. Very often when people talk about wisdom, see if you can identify with this. Very often when people think about wisdom, um, and, and when we think about what does it mean to be wise, we will often, I think, imagine something like this. Here we go. A wise person, we think, is someone who's been around the block a few times. A wise person is somebody not just with wonderful uh, ideals, but rather somebody who's gotten practical. A wise person is somebody who's pragmatic. A wise pr a person is somebody who observes the world around them, draws conclusions from their observation and their experience of the world, and then they're clever and they're skillful in getting stuff done in this world. They're just good at living. Now, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, uh, the book of Proverbs later on um, 
sometimes talks a lot, a, a lot like that when it talks about wisdom. But look back at verse 19, because verse 19 is different. Verse 19 is not talking about a body of knowledge that we collect through our observation of the world and then apply to it, apply to our lives. Rather, verse 19 is talking about a kind of wisdom that's beyond this world that we're living in because it was before this world that we're living in. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me say it differently. Human wisdom comes from observing the world around us, being inside this world, being inside this context, looking at the world, looking at the way it works, drawing conclusions from that and trying to figure out how to live in it. That's good. That's human wisdom. But God's wisdom is something that is even bigger than this universe because it designed this universe. Let me try to illustrate this, just a different kind of wisdom. Um, imagine I'm interested in architecture. And I walk into a building that I really like. I imagine I'm in this building, and I look around, and I can draw all kinds of conclusions from being inside the building and looking at the finished product and kind of observing it. I can look at the arches, and I can look at the way it's been painted. I can look at kind of the little details of it, and I can, and I can draw all kinds of conclusions, and that's good. However, if I were able to look at the blueprints originally, assuming I understand how to read blueprints, which I don't, but if I could look at the blueprints, if I could perhaps talk to the architect and say, what were you intending to do? What were you hoping this building would, would achieve? Why did you make this particular decision? And if I could talk to the engineers and, and, and the people who actually implemented it, and I could say, what were you thinking? What was going on? What were you trying to accomplish? If I could gain that perspective, then I would come back to the building and I would look at it from a different angle. I'd have a whole different set of insight because I'm not just looking at the finished product, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at the intention behind it, and therefore I'd be able to see the coherence of the whole structure. Okay, that is the kind of wisdom that Proverbs is saying is on offer. Proverbs here is saying that God made the world, which that's what we expect the Bible to say. But then Proverbs says, ah, 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 but wait, there's more. What more is there? Well, says Proverbs, not only did God create the world, but God desires to share the wisdom he used in creating the world. He wants to share that wisdom with you. Proverbs says, God before anything existed, exerted this thing called wisdom, and it created a universe with coherence. We're in the middle of that universe, and we can't see it comprehensively, and therefore we can never see its total com uh, coherence. But, says Proverbs, God wants to pour out the wisdom he used. He wants to divulge his wisdom to you so that you can have access to seeing the coherence. So that you can have access to the wisdom that God used to fill this world with meaning and with order and with significance. Let me do it one more way. It's like Proverbs is saying, God created you, but now he wants to leak 
to you his confidential plans. He wants you to have access to the foundational designs that shaped our world. Now, the reason I'm kind of jumping on about this is that it's a different kind of wisdom than the wisdom we usually imagine. The wisdom that Proverbs is talking about is not just religious street smarts. It's not just being clever. It's like a God-ordained, I don't know, WikiLeaks dump. <laughs> Terrible image. But do you see what I mean? Now, that's a hugely audacious claim, right? Brings up all kinds of questions. However, consider this. Human beings, there's something deep within the species called human beings um, that makes us desperate to search after and seek for coherence. Is there coherence in the universe we're living in? No, I, I don't think all other animals, like, ask that question. And maybe you don't ask that question in just that way, but consider the fact that in a lot of different ways, human beings seek this question, is there coherence? Um, think about scientists on the one hand and poets on the other. I have a very good friend who's a poet. I have some friends who are uh, scientists. They're different. Um, however, despite the fact that they're different, they are both of them in their own way driven by this question, is there coherence? So a physicist um, looks for a, you know, whatever, a theory of everything, right? What is it in the structure of this physical universe that makes it tick? Looking for coherence. But on the other hand, a poet, a poet can look at something that seems so mundane and connect it to the rest of the universe in a way that all of a sudden it becomes a window into transcendence and beauty and all these sorts of things. Both scientists and poets in completely different ways give us tastes and of, for this pursuit of coherence, is there meaning? What, what is it that holds the whole thing together? Now, wisdom in Proverbs comes at that question, but comes at it from a very different angle. Proverbs says, if you really want to grasp the, co the coherence and the meaning of the world, um, science is good, but there's more. Art is good, pursue it, but there's more. Proverbs says the key to coherence and meaning in the world is a relationship with the God who made it all. Now, where do I get that from? Wait, 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 Jim. How, where do you get the idea that relationship with God is the key to coherence and meaning? Well, look back at the text. There are a bunch of key words in our reading that are full of meaning and drive us to the conclusion that relationship with God is the center of it all. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse uh, 19. Do you see the word LORD is in all capital letters? Okay. Um, that happens throughout our reading. Um, whenever you see the word LORD in the Old Testament in all capital letters, it means it's translating a very particular Hebrew word for God, Yahweh. And this very particular word, Yahweh, is a word for God that only Israel used. And it's the particular name for God that brought up all kinds of uh, connotations with these stories of the Old Testament. And in all of these stories where the word Lord is used, the, 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 the word Yahweh is used, it's, it's always stories about this God, this unique God of Israel, who not only created the world, but seeks out people within the world. In particular, seeks out Israel and says, Israel, I know you weren't really even looking for me, but I want to draw you into a relationship with me. 
And the Lord did that in many ways. The Lord rescued Israel from Egypt. The Lord then called Israel to, uh, to himself in the desert and gave, him, gave them the law and, and said, this is how we're going to relate to each other. Again and again, the Lord, the word Lord is associated with a God who reaches out and draws them into relationship. Or look at verse 18, a different word. You see the phrase, the tree of life. The tree of life is an image that comes from the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, there's the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of the Garden of Eden, there's uh, the tree of life. And the tree of life was meant to signify uh, humanity, in that case, Adam and Eve, living in perfect trust and dependence upon God for everything. They were supposed to eat from the tree of life, and they would live forever because they were enjoying perfect intimacy with God. You may have noticed, it also shows up in our second reading, which is from the very end of the Bible. It shows up again there. The tree of life has been restored. Humanity living in perfect relationship with God forever. It's a relationship image. Or look at verse 17. One last word. Um, do you see the word peace there? That's the word shalom. And it means not just no conflict, nor does peace mean simply inward serenity. It means instead a life lived in reconciled relationship with God and all the flourishing of this world that comes when humanity is in an intimate relationship with God. Now, put all that together and what Proverbs is offering us in this reading is Proverbs is offering us wisdom. Wisdom that opens up the deep coherence of the world, but it does that not by uh, explaining the world like a scientist will, good as that is, not by uh, describing the beauty of this world like an artist might, good as that is, but wisdom gives us coherence by drawing us into a living relationship of love with the God who made it all. And the reason that gives us coherence, the reason that relationship with God gives us coherence is quite simply because it's the reason why God created everything. God created this whole universe in wisdom to be a setting where a drama could play out. A drama that reaches its culmination when humanity and God are brought into a living relationship with each other. And that's the reason why this world will always seem just a little incomplete. It's the reason why this world will always seem just a little incomplete until we find ourselves adopted by God and calling him Father. Uh, you've, you may have heard this. St. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Okay. But I can imagine a whole bunch of objective, uh, objections. I can imagine a thousand objections to everything that we've just been talking about. But our passage uh, addresses very briefly two, two objections to all of this. Um, and, and, and here they are. If all this is true, if, if God's wisdom gives, opens up coherence to the universe because it draws us into a relationship with him, um, then uh, what, does that, what does that mean about evil in the world? 
And what does that mean about the present suffering that I'm going through, the present difficulty that I'm going through right now? Because it's all fine and well to wax eloquent about a world created through God's wisdom that is beautiful and culminates in a relationship of love between us and God. But what about the ugly? Well, our passage points out two things. First, God's wisdom means that evil won't win in the end. I'll show you in a second. And secondly, God's wisdom means that he will preserve his people to the end and beyond the end. First of all, uh, God's wisdom won't win in the end, not ultimately. Look at verse 27. Okay, you're going to need to follow me here for a second. Beginning in verse 27, um, our passage gives a kind of portrait of evil. And it's a portrait, each verse kind of intensifies evil. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you now. Pause. The passage starts by giving us a little insight into evil by showing us simple economic injustice. Sins of omission. Which most of us feel like aren't that big of a deal. But keep going. Verse 29, the passage intensifies. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. So now it's active. Who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. And then now it's past the red line. Do not envy a man of violence. And do not choose any of his ways. Now, you see how the portrait of evil increases. It, it begins with just sins of omission, particularly economic sins of omission, and it ends with envying violent people, liking the violence, and beginning to choose to follow it. But now, the question is, what's God going to do about it? How does God's wisdom, if God's wisdom is supposed to give some coherence to the universe, how is it going to deal with evil? Well, here we go, verse 32. For the devious man, person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Now, that word curse is a very important word because it's a promise that God will not allow evil to continue forever. It's a promise that God will intentionally and specifically Bring justice to wickedness. That, that God's wisdom is going to say, stop it. With force. But I want you to see how this connects with what we were talking about earlier. Um, God's wise plan was to design a universe that culminates in relationship. Uh, God loving humans, humans loving God, and humans loving each other. That's the, the, the great aim of the universe that we're living in. But if you look back at those verses, verses 27 and onward, what you find out is that evil, all of evil, is a repudiation of that because it's a repudiation of love. It's a repudiation of love, and therefore it's a repudiation of God's wisdom, and it's a repudiation of 
the whole design of the universe, which is why, according to the Bible, every little act of wickedness, even an act of omission, failing to do something that we ought to do, is not just a sin against the person who you fail to serve. It's actually an abuse of the entire cosmic order. Because the entire cosmic order was designed to culminate in relationship and love. And therefore, for any one of us to reject that is to reject the purpose of the whole thing. And that explains why God takes evil so seriously, even little evil. It explains why God's wisdom has to judge and ultimately destroy evil. Because if God doesn't judge evil, if God just kind of tolerates evil, then wisdom will fail and our world is incoherent. It's why, verse 35, has to be true. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable, because here, here's, here's, here's why. It's always easy for us to talk about evil in the abstract, isn't it? Evil is out there somewhere. Isn't evil terrible? Raise your hand if you think evil's terrible. Right, I mean, don't. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but the problem is evil's in here. The problem is evil is always perpetrated by people. And therefore, are you innocent? For instance, verse 27, have you ever withheld good from those to whom it is due when it was in your power to give it? Most of us have done that, and eh, just a touch more. Which means we're liable. But friends, this is why Jesus is so precious. And why Jesus is the culmination of the plan of wisdom. Because Jesus, you look at Jesus and you'll see the coherence of wisdom. Jesus came... And in God's wisdom, God's wisdom which desires relationship with, between humans and God, in Jesus, that wise design and intention even reached out to guilty people. Because Jesus is the only one who's perfectly wise, right? He's the only one, verse 35, who really deserves honor. But he voluntarily exchanged places with us. And on the cross, he received the disgrace that he did not deserve. He experienced God's curse, God's curse against evil. That's what was happening when he was writhing on the cross. And why did he do that? He did that so that he could offer honor that only he deserved to those of us who had abused the universe through our folly. And that's a type of wisdom, friends, that you can never figure out by just observing the world around us. You'll never come to that conclusion. It has to be, it has a wisdom from outside this universe. It's a wisdom that breaks in from outside. And when you look at Jesus upon the cross, you see with the wisdom of God perfectly committed to relationship and perfectly hostile towards evil, both at the same time. And when you look at Jesus, that's when you see that evil won't finally win. If you belong to Jesus, evil will not finally win in your life 
And in the end, Jesus will make this broken world right. So, God's wisdom means evil won't win in the end, but one last thing, God's wisdom also means that he will preserve his people as they walk through present difficulties. Look at verse 23, and we'll end with this. Talking about the way of wisdom, verse 23, when you walk on your way, or then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the Bible talking about you will not be afraid, it always gets my attention. The reason it gets my attention is that uh, all my life I have struggled with anxiety. Um, and uh, I live in a world that's scary sometimes. Uh, and we, you and I live in a world where really, really bad things happen. And so when the Bible says, you won't be afraid, I, I, I kind of perk up and say, really? That's interesting. How can that be true? And the answer is in verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. Now look at that word. The word confidence can also be translated, the Lord will be at your side. So the promise there is not that bad things won't happen to you. Bad things will happen to you. We're all going to die someday. But the promise is, is that if you belong to the Lord, the promise is that even when those terrible things happen, you'll not be alone. The Lord will be with you. And the Lord will be with you in such a way to ensure that you will not be trapped in the end, that it will not have final say in your life, that there will come a time where you will look back over the course of your life and the ups and the downs and the joy and the pain and all of it, you'll be able to look out on it like a long screenplay and you'll be able to see the Lord was there. Sometimes I couldn't see it when I was in the middle of it, but the Lord was there. Sometimes when I was in the middle of pain, I was sure that I was in an incoherent universe. But nevertheless, there will come a day when you will look back and you will be able to see, yes, the Lord was there all along. If you read through the Psalms, I hope you do. I hope you read the Psalms every day. This morning when I was reading the Psalms, I was thinking about this. And I was realizing that the entirety of the Psalms is what it looks like to step inside a universe where the Lord is walking with us through pain and difficulty and then praising the Lord, not because bad things don't happen, but because the Lord is with us in the midst of it. That is the path of wisdom. That's what it is like to be inside the wisdom through which God created the universe, which is to be inside a wisdom that culminates in a relationship of intimacy with the Lord. He will be with you in the trials. He will be with you in the pain. And even when you can't feel it or see it, and when, even when you're not at all sure that he's there, he will hold you. He will hold you in his hand. And where will he take you? That's what our second reading was about. He will take you to a place where you will see hello, the goodness of the Lord, and where he will feed you with the tree of life forever. That's where he's taking you, if you belong to him. And if God created the universe to know you, so that you could know him, and if God not only created the universe for that purpose, but gave his own son, for you to know him, then he will not abandon you in the midst of the flames. He's invested far too much. So friends, seek wisdom. Seek it with all that you are. 
Make it your high ambition to know the Lord and to know that wisdom that you cannot figure out from below. You must be revealed from above. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.